0: My, what a wonderful audience we have this afternoon as we come together again on the Lord's Day and and also to the final service of this gospel meeting. Seems like we just got started, and now it's time to stop. So, now, you know, preacher's wives are just special, special women, and they have to have a great deal of courage, and uh, they have to have courage to tell the preacher what he needs to hear when others probably would not. And Cassie knows that it's not unusual for preachers to get a lot of praise and compliments along the way, and and so she has to humble me a little bit. Here's what she reminded me of just a little bit ago. She said, no one minds a short sermon the last Sunday night of the meeting. (laughs) not a single one of you had the courage to come up and tell me that so you can thank cassie for that after the uh, after the service is over and while nobody came up and asked for a short sermon nobody came up and asked for a long one either so i guess I, i guess that's all right you know the very final verses that i read in this morning's sermon were hebrews chapter 12 and this afternoon i want to go to hebrews chapter 12 and look at some things there uh, that are in those first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12. These are, um, these are very special words that I think can apply to us and can uh, hopefully help us and encourage us in our Christian walk. Now, the concept of Hebrews chapter 12 uh, prepares us for a race, and that's mentioned in the latter part of verse 1. There's a race that is set before us racing is something we forget to do as we get older it's something that our children just naturally do when they are playing as youngsters i doubt that any of us seriously remember the first time we said ready get set go or somebody did and we had a little race of one kind or another those are fun things that we do but as we get older we we forget about these things but actually we are in a race you might say we're we're in the race of life and We have a lot of things to accomplish. We have a lot of goals that we want to to fulfill if we are blessed with life. Now, this life can get so cluttered with all of the things that we have going on. And if we stop and think for just a moment about all the things that we have to do in the coming days, that can be a pretty pretty overwhelming list. Now, having raised that topic, I know that's what you're dwelling on. You know, when somebody says, don't think about an orange, I can't do that. I don't think I'm alone. So if I say, you know, if we just stop for a second and think about all of the things that we have to do, all of a sudden, it's like a floodgate has been lifted and our mind is just filled with all of those things. (sighs) Oh. just kind of makes you tired, doesn't it? Now, there are some folks that put more on their plate than others, and most things that we have on our plate of life to get done are self-inflicted, okay? I'll acknowledge that. But it's very, very easy to get lives so full of this or that or the other that we end up neglecting those things that are most important. Now, when I was meddling the other night about finances, personal finances, I said it's so easy to get into debt and to have this and that and this and that that we pay for that we neglect the Lord, that we neglect our ability to give, we abuse our ability to give when we do that. It's also so easy to get our lives so filled with things that we are caught up in and doing that we forget the things that are most important to us. Those things that are most important to us are those things of a spiritual nature. Those things that will enable us to have a home in heaven are absolutely the most important things that we could ever consider in our life. But sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we take that for granted. Now we're told, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that means we start with me. You start with you. It has to be very personal. If we're going to have a right relationship with God, that means I need to pay attention to this myself and make this a priority. You need to do that for you. Your spouse cannot do that for you. Your in-laws cannot do that for you. Your parents cannot do that for you. Your children cannot do that for you. You're in this first by yourself. Every one of us shall give an account before god of the life that we individually and personally have lived and so we're going to have to stand there with no one beside us to hold our hand of our family and we're going to have to face god as we are and for who we have been we cannot depend upon someone else to be there in our place and so that means things of god become very very important don't they Things of a spiritual and eternal nature become very, very important. But now, having said that, yes, I want to be saved myself, but you know, when we we are privileged to be married, when we are honored to be married, and we pledge our life to a spouse, remember 1 Corinthians 7 talks about our service to God, and in that respect it relates being married to a care of the world, not in a wrong sense, but that our service to God first goes sideways, It it is how we serve our spouse that determines how God sees that we serve Him. And so husbands are to serve their wives, and in that way they are together then to serve God. Wives are to serve their husbands, and in that way they together are to serve the Lord. And so when we are married, our service goes sideways first before it ascends to the throne of God, you might say. And so it is if we are saved And in a right relationship with god who do we want to be in that same saved relationship with us more than anyone else in the world of course our spouse we want them to be saved as well now they may choose not to but we want them to with all of our heart and if we're blessed with children then of course we want them to be saved as well and as i've learned the last 11 years when you're blessed with grandchildren you want them to be saved too And so it is when I think of heaven and who's going to be there, I'll be the first to admit I don't know. Now here's what I do know. God has guaranteed happiness. Remember, there's no sorrow in heaven. None. So what about that old question of, well, what if my mother's not there? What if my daddy's not there? What if my wife or my husband or my children or my grandchildren, what if they're not there? It's not that we won't care, but God has taken that knowledge and no longer allowed us to be sorrowful if he allows us to know that. Because he's guaranteed no sorrow in heaven, none. Well, that makes heaven an amazing place, doesn't it? I can't imagine heaven from this side of eternity without my wife there too. I can't imagine that, I don't want to. (laughs) I cannot imagine heaven without my three children there. I just can't. I cannot imagine heaven without my four, soon to be five grandchildren there. I just can't, and I don't want to. And now, I can't imagine heaven without all of you there either, you see. Terry showed us some video of when Galen and Paul went back to Africa 50 years after they went for the first time. And we got to see some of those brethren there and where they worshiped. And our brothers and sisters in Africa, I've never met them, but I hope to spend eternity with them in heaven. Couldn't understand a thing they were saying, but you know we'll be able to converse just fine. Oh, they love to sing. We've got that in common. We couldn't keep up with them in their singing. (laughs) They couldn't slow down (laughs) to handle ours. We just shouldn't try to imagine heaven without them. But we have to start here. We have to start with ourselves. And heaven and its, its destination has to mean more to us than anything else in this life, and that then is the race. Along the way, who are we? Well, we're a spouse, We're we're a child of our parents, we're a grandparent, we're a grandchild, we're a worker, we're a student, we're a neighbor, we're a citizen. On and on you go with roles that we have to fulfill. All of those can be wonderful roles, but God has to be first. We can't lose sight of God being first. Now Hebrews chapter 12 says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The witnesses that are referred to in verse 1 are actually those ancients from that chapter regarding the hall of fame of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. It's saying here that these individuals are there to witness this race. This race, in Hebrews 12 verse one, is likened unto a race that's about to be held in a stadium. And all of us are there getting ready to run. And as we stretch and as we find our starting blocks and as we find our lane in which we're going to run, we are able to look around at the stands and they're just full of folks. They're just full of all kinds of people. Who are these folks? They're the ones named In Hebrews chapter 11, they are the ancients or the elders, those that lived long, long, long ago in the ensuing generations after Adam. They are those of the generation of Abel, who's also named, and Enoch, who's also named as an individual that was translated so that he should not see death, Hebrews 11 and verse 5 also those stadiums are filled with the likes of noah and those of his family who were faithful to god and preserved by him in the ark also we have pictured in this stadium stands abraham that wonderful man that was a friend of god and his son of promise Isaac, and his son Jacob who was named Israel from whom the tribes of Israel come, and also Joseph, and also Moses, and Moses' parents, and all of the Israelites, and Rahab the the prostitute, and all of those individuals who did so many things, plus Verse 32 of Hebrews 11 mentions Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, jay moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. These individuals are that cloud of witnesses that surround us in this race we are about to run, figuratively speaking, of course. What a great crowd. Now, as you know, a race can be run without any watchers, but you know you always perform just a little bit better when there are folks there to cheer you on. Now, were these individuals in the stands victorious because they all lived long, healthy lives? Not really. As we read, many of them died horrible deaths. But in their death, their faith was intact. And you see, that is the point, that even though they had all kinds of adversity, their faith in God was still intact, even if their faith in God meant they had to give up their life. It says there in verse 35 that they did not accept deliverance, even in the face of torture. Individuals were tortured to give up their faith in God and they would not. Why? For the promise of a better resurrection, for the promise of being saved. If you've ever watched a boxing match of any kind, usually there will be introductions of previous champions before the boxing match actually begins. And they will introduce this, this person that may or may not still be agile at all, and they will come up and they will, they will walk underneath the ropes and they'll go around the, the ring and they'll, everybody will see them and they'll praise them and cheer for them for just a moment. And that is a reminder to the combatants this can be won you can win you can be a champion you too can be victorious in this battle that you're about to have this race that you're about to have now if you've ever spent the time to watch like a miss america pageant or something like that i don't advise that i'm just saying if you have you probably noticed That along the way, they start about the time of the Civil War saying this was Miss America 1864. And they start with everyone that has ever won that contest in one fashion or another to say you too can be a winner. That's an encouragement to all of the contestants. We can do this. Well, in this race, this spiritual race, to get from this life to heaven, everyone in those stands is encouraging us to say, we can do this, we can do this. It is as though they are shouting, don't ever give up, give it your best, you can, you can make it. You see, after all, in this crowd, there's not a single person who's against us. Every one of them are on our side now that is a great crowd have you ever been in a sporting event where the opposing team was introduced and you stood up with everybody else and said boo that's not going to happen in this stadium they're all they're all on your side they're all on our side i remember believe it or not playing basketball in high school now i went to a very small school where mediocre talent could be on the varsity team. That was me. I got to play varsity basketball. And I still remember when my name was announced and I ran out to the appropriate line in the basketball court and the crowd cheered for me. I'll have to tell you that felt good. It still does just remembering it, and that's been hmm, 37 years. We like it when somebody's cheering us on. It feels great when somebody says, you can do this, you can do this, you can make this happen. Well, that's what that crowd of witnesses are saying to us, you can do this. But you know, in our congregations, we need individuals who will be encouragers as well. We need individuals who will have the strength and courage of their convictions to be able to look beyond their own life and look to others to be encouraging to them, to lift them up when they may be fallen, to help them understand how important they are to the body of Christ. You see, because we need each other in every possible way. And when Paul discussed Our part, each of our part in the body of Christ, he talked about comely parts and uncomely parts. You know, that beauty pageant would never be anything I would be invited to as a contestant. I understand that. That would just never happen. But you know, we need everyone in the Lord's church who will come together and be serious about doing his will. We need everyone who will give it the old college try, who will be willing to not only work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, but also be ready and willing to help someone else to also be faithful to God. Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. That is who we are to be, individuals that love one another enough to do because a love only of words doesn't get very far. That love of words must be backed by the actions that we are willing to make. It's fine for us to say that we love the Lord and we should be ready and willing to say that, but our feet should walk where our words say we're trying to go. And we need to put action to our words so that all may know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are doing our best to serve the Lord. So we stand there today in the presence of these witnesses, and we are about to run a race, and we are, as verse 1 says, to lay aside every weight. Now, this is not about dieting, um, let's, but we can talk about that for just a minute. I happen to notice I have a spoon and a knife still in my pocket, so I've only got one utensil down and I've got two to go. Uh, oh, what a wonderful meal we had today. And all of you who contributed to that in any way, oh, what a wonderful example of service that is to be willing to share your talent, your God-given talents in preparing food or in making money with which to purchase food so that you might share with everyone. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is. Now, if we, if we are going to have extra weight as far as life's burdens are concerned, then we're gonna have trouble running a spiritual race. We're gonna have a lot of trouble with a spiritual race. And so if we're in this stadium getting ready to run, and we see somebody come up to the starting line with heavy, heavy boots, heavy clothing, a big overcoat, carrying something in each hand, what would we think about them? Well, everyone might say we might think that they're a fire person, you know, but But really, we wouldn't think they're gonna be able to run very fast, would we? They're just not gonna be able to run very well a lot of times, and you know, in our spiritual lives, if we're not careful, we will have a lot of stuff on us that just weighs us down. It is possible to be so hindered by our own selves that we just really can't get started in this spiritual race. Sometimes our lives are filled with our own problems, to the point that we are unable to look beyond our own issues. And I know that can happen, and I think that, that can be appropriate for a little while. And whenever something happens to overwhelm me in my life, I expect my brothers and sisters to rally around to lift me up, but I also expect me to be one that needs to go to where they are sometime when they're surrounded by problems to rally around them to lift them up. But you know, when individuals, are only caught up in their own life's problems, then they are just weighed down by that and they're not able to help anybody else. So we need to do our best to to be able to look beyond ourselves and to help others. We hinder ourselves when we do not trust in God. God says, trust me, believe in me. That's what walking by faith is all about. There's a lot of problems in this life we cannot handle. A lot of issues we cannot solve. What do we do? We turn those over to God. That's one of, the, one of the reasons we pray, so that we can just say, Lord, here is my life. Bless me as you will within your will. And we turn those things over to God. We hinder ourselves when we don't trust God. You know, we need to trust God to keep his word because he always has. We, we may not be able to always keep our word, but God always has. He promises to save us. If we will obey him, he will save us. He promises if we will obey the gospel, he will forgive us of our sins. And if we step back and say, well, I just don't know about God, God can't help us. He cannot help us if we will not trust in him. But there's ample evidence, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. All of those things are there clearly written, easy to understand, And if we end up reading through all of that and we say, I just don't know about God, well, we can understand. We can understand. Individuals who can get through any degree of school, individuals who can drive a car, individuals who can manage the financing to rent or own a home, individuals who can manage to to pick out clothing and wear it, et cetera, et cetera, individuals who can recognize the difference between right and wrong and rules and laws have everything they need to be able to believe in Almighty God. And you see, what God does is say, I'm here, it's up to you. He gives us all the evidence anybody needs and we hinder ourselves when we don't trust God. We also hinder ourselves when we're not able to forgive others and to work with them as best we can. We hinder ourselves when we do not use the talents God has blessed us with, blessed us with in his service. We hinder ourselves when we attempt to bring worldly practices into our lives and justify them as being part of Christianity. We hinder ourselves when we attempt to justify sin in our own life by pointing out problems that other people happen to have. We can hinder ourselves really, really well, can't we? We can really slow ourselves down. We really can. You ever have any slugs in your yard? Any, any slugs, any snails? You know, they just kind of eek along. They leave a trail everywhere they go. They're not really attempting to contribute much, are they? And you know, we can really hinder ourselves if we're not careful. The verse also says we're to lay aside the sin that doth so easily beset us. Or as one translation says, the sin that so easily entangles us. You know, it is not hard to get entangled, to end up falling, to just lose our sense of balance, our sense of purpose and end up falling down. Now, some years ago I was working on a little crown molding project in a, in a living room, and you'll be glad to know that I didn't continue throughout the rest of the house. I was working away, and I'm not very good. No, I am not at all good at stuff like this. I am really not, but I knew I could do it, and I was bound and determined to get it done. And at one particular point, we have this ladder that it, you know, you step up onto kind of a platform, and, I was working away up there, and I just forgot I was on a ladder. And I stepped back, just as Cassie happened to be walking by. All of those things were not a good combination. They really weren't. I hit the couch, thankfully. The couch is okay. You were worried about the couch first, weren't you? You know, that was really, really a shock to me to fall. It really was. I'll tell you about one more of mine, Falls, before I tell you about one of Cassie's. Now, I have told you earlier in the week that I retired from golf, and I meant that sincerely. But I have played quite a bit of golf through the years, never well, in fact, always horribly. We had lost one of the balls that I had hit, predictably. And so I was with another fellow in a cart, and I'm the passenger, because I was never trusted to drive on the golf course, because I couldn't play, why would they trust me to drive? And so, we're looking for my ball, and I am going like this, peering, peering, out in the tall bull rushes to see if we could find my ball, and just as I went like this, the driver went like this. I found myself floating. <laughs> and didn't last too long, and that really hurt me. We are in Walmart just a few weeks ago, and as I went to the restrooms before I, I'd let Cassie out, and went to the restrooms, and along the way as I was walking there, I looked over by one of the registers and there was a chicken bone. Oh, well, that's kind of bad. I went, I, I, I went on and then I went and found Cassie and she said, well, why don't you take the basket and I'm gonna run to the restrooms for a minute. She was gone forever, forever. She finally came back and she said, you'll never believe this, I fell on a chicken bone. <laughs> it was bad. Now, I will say, my dear sweet wife can fall when there's nothing and has proven that through the years, but every one of us can physically fall, can't we? What about spiritually falling? Can we do that? The apostle Peter long ago said, I'll never do that. That's an apostle. He said, I will never, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never deny you, Jesus. Jesus said, yes, you will. And even when Jesus told him, Peter said, I will not. And before very many hours were passed, Peter had denied him again and again and again and was even willing to take oaths that he didn't know him. If we look at our lives and we say, well, I'm never gonna be bothered by sin, never is a pride-filled, dangerous word. We are all capable of falling. We're all capable of falling hard. We're all capable of falling when we least expect it. And we need to be humble and always watchful. Those who are the leaders of the congregations are to watch for the souls of the flock. That implies a sleepless group who are willing to lose sleep so that the flock might be protected. Any kind of a doctrinal attack that might come to a congregation, the leaders are ready to say that is not the direction we're going to go anything that threatens a family, the leaders of that family and the leaders of the congregation need to be ready and willing to say, we, we just can't allow that to get started because of where it might end up. And it's just not going to be a good thing because it could cause us to fall. And a lot of times we stand back and say, well, who are you to tell me I should be careful with this or that or the other? That's kind of what the apostle Peter did. He said, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Jesus says, you're gonna have trouble. And he did. You know, if we start saying we're never gonna have trouble, we've already got trouble. We've already got trouble in our life. And so if we are blessed to live as long as Methuselah, we're still gonna be dealing with temptation in that 969th year. And we're not gonna be blessed with that long a life, but we do need to know that we can fall. And so if something is going to entangle us, We need to be on guard against whatever it might be and we need to be ready to help others to get up and we need to always be willing to reach out a hand so somebody can help us up too. Because we all need everybody's help and none of us can do this alone. And we're also told that we are to run with patience. That's hard for us, you know. It's hard for us to be patient with others It's hard for us to be patient with ourselves. And being patient with somebody doesn't mean we take the holy book and we just wad it up and throw it away. Being patient means we always look for a direction of righteousness. Yes, someone may fall, but when they get up, are are they more in the direction of righteousness than they were the day before? That's what we always want in ourselves. Will we attain perfection immediately when we obey the gospel? No. It's a daily struggle, it's a daily race, it's a daily time of putting one foot in front of the other to run, as the verse says, that race that is set before us. You see, we don't choose the course, God does. God says, here's who I want you to be as you work your way through life. And so, we are, if we are Christians, we are on this course that the Lord has set, and we are to do our very best to remember the encouragement of the crowd of witnesses of faith, but then we also are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Or consider him that endure such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds are we gonna get weary in this christian walk of life oh yes are we gonna get faint in our minds where we're just weak sometimes yes we are but all together we can look to jesus and we can consider what he has done and we can be encouraged by others around us and encouragers of faith of old to keep doing exactly what we know the Lord wants us to do. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, then you're just kind of looking on from the side. You're not yet in that race where all of the people who have had faith in God and been willing to die for it are ready to encourage you on. But you can do that. You can obey the gospel on this side of eternity. If you know the gospel well enough to understand it, to know what it means when I say those steps of salvation are faith and repentance, confession and baptism, if you understand the gospel well enough to know what those things mean, then you can also make up your mind whether or not you're ready to do them. And if you are, oh, we'd love to assist you to become a child of God. If you are a child of God and your life is not right, Why don't you make now the time when you ask for the prayers of the brethren that you might be acceptable in your life in the sight of God? If there's one to obey the gospel or to repent of wrong, won't you please come forward while we stand, while we sing.